everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I am your host, Vinny Russo. And I am your co-host, Dr. Aaron Stansfield. And we're shifting gears from all the conventional fitness narrative you hear on most fitness podcasts, as our main emphasis lies in preventative healthcare, adopting a holistic approach to nutrition, and challenging the traditional views on various fitness topics. Our mission with this podcast is to provide you with the information you need to achieve optimal health. And on today's podcast, we are going to go over our predictions. We have three each for the health and fitness spaces in 2024. So we get to really dive into what we think is going to happen. We're going to put our Nostradamus hats on today and get after it. So do you want to preference anything before we actually dive into it, Dr. Aaron? No, let's let's go. I don't know if we're right, right, but these are it's, our they're, predictions. They're, they're predictions. They're just predictions. So uh, it'll be better. We'll have an episode when uh, we'll see how many of these were actually proven correct. Yeah. That'd be cool at the end of the year. All right. So why don't you start us off then? Because this was your idea. So how about you start us off? Yes. So um, these, uh, most of my predictions are for the health related topics. uh, And then Vinny will go into the fitness space. Um, But basically my first prediction is that there will be more weight loss drugs out in the market. Um, I think they will continue to be very expensive um, because that's how these pharmaceutical companies make money essentially. Um, I think that um, instead of having an injection form of Ozempic, I think that eventually it will be oral. That is a prediction of mine. Um, And with that oral formulation, obviously more people um, will want to use it. Um, I still think it will be very expensive. Um, The drug manufacturer has come out with uh, direct sales to patients. So you don't even have to go through a physician now. Um, You have to go through their um, physicians, but uh, they're connected to the company directly. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to comment how I feel about that, but um, that is a thing that is occurring right now. I think there's going to be different um, drugs that are going to target different receptors that will regulate insulin. For example, this is already on the market, but sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors or otherwise known as SGL2 inhibitors. Again, these are just drugs that are going to be able to help you with insulin and glucose control. Um, Another class are DPP4 inhibitors. Um, Again, um, these inhibitors increase the concentration of endogenous GLP1s by inhibiting inhibiting the enzyme DD or DPP4, uh, which normally degrades GLP4 or GLP1s. And um, again, affecting glucose transport. Uh, There'll be uh, combination therapies, I think. Uh, So not only will you target one receptor, but potentially two. Um, And there's this newer class of drugs coming out called um, pancreatic polypeptide receptor agonists. Again, just better glucose control. Um, I think with all of this weight loss and these weight loss drugs, um, muscle preservation is going to become a bigger trend um, in the next year or so, um, because we're going to now want to lose fat and keep our muscle on. Um, that's, you know, that's where, where I stand with, with resistance training, at least. Well, that, those were a lot of uh, letters you threw out there. <laughs> Uh, so, um, if you know, in, in the comments or, um, uh, they could reach out to us, if you want to dive deeper in, or if you want us to dive deeper into the specific, um, types of weight loss drugs, let us know. 
Um, and we could do a podcast episode on that, or we could just, you know, write something up and, and send it out to people who are interested. Um, but that was a pretty good first one. I definitely agree with that. I think there will be more weight loss drugs. You see how prevalent it was and how much success um, semaglutide and uh, Ozempic actually had from that. Um, but entering into a new realm of virtual reality for workout purposes is what I think is going to really come into play this year. Um, I just see it being very appealing to the population because if you think about it, like the motivation to train would actually increase because you get these people who normally shy away from working out because they don't want to go to the gym. They feel very uncomfortable. So if they could do it at the convenience of their own home and have, if you think about like virtual reality, you could have all of these different environments that you could be in. If it's a run, if it's a jog, if it's a bike or whatever. Now you might say, yeah, treadmills have this stuff. They do. And it's very popular. It makes the cardio session seem that much shorter because you're enjoying the scenery, but imagine it being VR virtual reality where you actually see your hands and feet moving. Uh, you know, if they could add an element to where, like if the wind's blowing, the fan comes on, like, I just see different elements like that. I see more of a virtual reality type aspect to it. There are a few th hurdles that I feel like are, are going to have to, people are going to have to overcome. And even the space of VR would have to overcome. And one is going to be the expense. It's probably going to be very expensive to have that form of equipment in your home to actually do it. So I think that's a barrier that needs to be hurdled. Um, we also know that with all technology, there are going to be some technical issues like glitches, right? And that might just add to frustration. I know if I get interrupted when I'm working out, I don't want to be bothered. Like I want to, I'm in there to do a purpose and I want to get it done with. I don't want to, you know, have to pause and wait for a glitch to kind of fix itself. Uh, so I think that might be a little bit of a hurdle. Um, and, and even though I said something about like, it's the convenience of your own home, that is a pro, but a con to that is that it actually, it contributes to the sense of isolation. And, you know, you and me, we, we both know that a lot of people enjoy the, um, or actually thrive on the communal aspect of fitness where they're doing stuff together. That's why classes work so well. Um, and there's also going to be a learning curve, like, especially if you have older individuals that aren't too tech savvy and, uh, they want to just stay home and do a nice, easy workout. There's going to have to be a little bit of a learning curve, but I do see virtual reality coming into this year with, with a ton of workouts. Well, I think, you know, I, I can appreciate the communal aspect, but I'm one for, also doing things by myself. So I think I would enjoy the virtual reality um, prospect. And especially, you know, if you get the cool VR glasses and you're, yeah. you know, it's kind of like we plus yeah. virtual reality. I think that'd yeah. be great. Yeah. I think, I do think it has uh, its space in fitness right now. So. Yeah. It just depends on your personality. Yeah. Um, I think my next prediction is about aging. So I think we're going to have a paradigm shift where aging is going to be looked as a preventable disease, or at least I hope so. Um, because I think if we look at it as a preventable disease that we'll, we'll actually be able to implement more, um, active lifestyle changes in order to live longer and have better quality of life. Um, I think primary prevention 
will be increasingly important. So again, diet and exercise are going to be very important. I think that's always been a trend, right? It's it's not a very sexy answer, right? That you have to diet and exercise and that this always has to be on your mind. Um, but it is very important. Um, and I think there's going to be more trends to prolong lifespan in general. Um, we've already seen um, people like Peter Atia come out with Outlive, and um, there's a book called Lifespan, um, and they're promoting um, different medications to, you know, to prolong life, for example, and to prevent disease states. Um, most of research models are done in animals, not so much in humans. Um, but, you know, uh, for example, NAD activators such as NMM. Yeah, um, I know Tony Robbins is huge on that whole NAD stuff. And he literally says yeah. it's like reverse aging. Yeah. And then again, I'm not going to comment on the research, <laughs> um, you know, with these, with these uh, medications or anything like that, or these supplements. Um, but I think that the trend is going to be how do we prolong people's life and how do we make it better quality life um, so that we don't have to suffer. Um, and again, I think uh, preservation of muscle mass and preventing sarcopenia um, is going to be a um, more prevalent or more at the, uh, the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, and I think there's going to be big push for um, resistance training uh, and uh, you know, along with that, uh, as far as primary prevention goes, I think that um, everyone is going to want to uh, prevent uh, chronic disease states such as cancer, for example. So early detection of cancer is going to become increasingly important. Uh, I think, you know, as people lose weight and they get healthier, um, it's going to open the, the doors and to look at these other disease states that we can prevent. Um, you know, a lot of celebrities right now, and we may have an episode on this, um, are doing whole body MRIs, um, to, to look for cancers. Um, again, I think we, we can do a completely different podcast on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that people are going to look at these, um, different imaging techniques or different blood testing, for example, um, like multi-cancer early detection, uh, blood tests. Um, there's one out called the grail test to detect, um, early cancer. Uh, again, it's not FDA approved, but I think people are going to look towards these methods of detection in order to prevent, or at least have the knowledge, um, you know, if they're at risk for cancers, uh, I think another big thing will be, uh, dementia. So, you know, how do we prevent, uh, or how do we preserve neurological function? Um, and, you know, again, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of docs have gone into this, Peter Tia being one of the most famous ones. Um, and a lot of it has to do with very basic things like keeping your act, your mind active. Um, but, uh, they're looking again at blood testing. So, you know, early blood tests detect Alzheimer's, for example. Um, and you know, these, these tests are coming along. They're looking at phosphorylation of the tau protein, for example, um, and there are companies that are out there, um, using these assays, they're research only assays. Um, but I think that, you know, as the, the technology and the demand for the technology increases, 
that they they might become more mainstream and they're fairly expensive tests are you know 200 to 500 dollars depending on um you know which company is uh, is giving it to you but again it's for research purposes only um so i th i think that um we're going to be more at the forefront of prevention and i think that's amazing but i think we need to take it with a grain of salt too all these new tests um, may seem uh, very shiny and new and and good, but I think knowing the pros and cons and knowing when there might be false positives is going to become increasingly important. Yeah, and I know you mentioned Peter Tia's name a couple of times, um, and he's one of those people that will say, hey, here's this test. It'll do this, and it's extremely expensive. And only really, really high end clients would be able to pay for a lot of the tests that he wants to get done. I think he has some some good stuff going on, but I also think he's very extreme. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so this was not like a uh, we're going to sponsor Pediatia today. <laughs> no, it's uh, no. He has some good stuff, but he also has some very extreme stuff that we both actually talked about yeah. on the side. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff, like I mentioned, I wouldn't promote this myself. Again, I think you know diving deep into some of these topics later on in the year, um, kind of looking at the evidence. A lot of these tests haven't been um, tested adequately in order to know what the false positive or the specificity and sensitivity of the tests are. So I think, um, again, you have to be very careful if you decide to do any of these tests. All right, cool. Let's go on to my next one. And um, we actually chatted about this a few times, uh, but it's about integration of artificial intelligence into personalized fitness plans. So I don't, I want to preface this and say that I do not think that AI is going to take over. Um, but I do think that, you know, with the way that it can analyze individual performance data and predict certain things, I think it's going to be a great um, tool to have uh, if you're a coach or even a practitioner. Um, like I said, just because, you know, how it can analyze data, um, and how it could actually learn. And if it learns basically what's going on, let's just say you're using like a workout program with AI integrated and it's like on the mode of progressive overload, it could tell you how much to in increase over time. If it collects enough data, how much to increase on your next workout, um, to keep or to enforce progressive overload. I also think that AIs can. Uh, process very large amounts of, of data very, very quickly, which streamlines the process of creating these plants. So you could become more efficient as a coach or even as a practitioner. But with AI, I do think that, you know, that there are some, some negatives to this as well. Um, and one of the main things is going to be like a, a data privacy concern with a lot of people, because you're going to have to collect a lot of personal information and you know, the privacy and the security, actually, I, I feel like the concerns are, are going to rise up and, and and might be a little bit of a pushback. Um, I also think becoming too over-reliant on technology, um, it's it basically leads to a potential disconnect with, you know, your actual understanding of your own body and your self-awareness. So I think it kind of pulls away from that. And the most important aspect that I would say is a negative is that it lacks that human touch. So if you are a coach and you just want to use all AI because it's very efficient and it gets stuff done and you're just getting paid to let AI run your work, I mean, that's not really a coach, number one. But number two, I mean, where's the emotional support there? 
Um, and, and I feel like the motiv the motivational aspect of the human interaction is what really drives people to feel like they're being taken care of. And I feel like that element will be uh, completely missed if if AI just kind of takes over in that in that aspect. You're a very um, personal touch kind of coach. Like um, you like the um, human factor, if you will. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting that you said that uh, privacy will become a concern. Um, we're giving so much free data to all these platforms like Apple, for example. Mm -hmm. If you have an Apple watch, um, you sign up and you're, you, you know, a lot of it is free. And I, I think people don't realize how much um, free biometrics they're giving to these companies. Um, it'll be interesting to see if people actually um, get concerned about their privacy. I think right now a lot of people are oblivious to this and, and companies are profiting off of it. Um, yeah. Well, if you think about like, even with us, like we have to be HIPAA protected, right? Like if you think about AI and how much data they got to collect, I mean, they're going to go into, you know, medical history, right? I mean, if you have a disease state, the coach has to know about that. So it's got to be integrated into the AI system. It's going to be put in there for them to, or for the AI to actually make correct predictions or have correct data. So I think that's, yeah, that's a concern. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes a question of, you know, the more money that these platforms have, like the bigger companies will probably be able to mine most of that data because um, they're able to afford, for example, mm -hmm. the HIPAA, HIPAA protection and, and uh, you know, and possibly, hopefully, um, protect people's personal health, health data. Um, my next prediction is uh, for precision health. Um, I think this is a thing already. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a popular term, but I think that um, healthcare is going to become more accessible um, and it's going to be more personalized, more individualized. Um, and I think, again, you know, speaking about AI, I think that AI is going to be able to predict health trends, for example. So, um, I think most of our audience, or if you've read the news, have heard about CRISPR and gene editing. And I think that's going to continue to be a technology. We know that there's, um, you know, a sickle cell um, CRISPR technology that actually can cure sickle cell uh, right now that's on the, it's going to be on the market. And I think that's just going to expand. Uh, gene editing techniques are going to become more and more popular. Um, I think also 3D printing is going to be a big deal. Um, they can 3D imp uh, print implants. And um, I'm hoping that one day they'll be able to uh, bioprint tissues uh, that will lead to organs. I know this has been done and implemented by some surgeons worldwide that have not done well with the technology. The trachea, uh, for one. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I think that this hopefully will become a bigger trend um, because I know organ donation is um, an issue, especially in the United States. Um, I think along those lines, there'll be more personalized pharmaceuticals. Um, for example, giving specific dosages and release times to specific patient populations and maybe even more individualized um, care on that front. Um, again, these are 
predictions uh, probably in the next year and in the next five years. I think these technologies will continue to grow um, and I'm hoping they will. I think they could um, potentially save a lot of lives if they are, um, if they do well. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, it's pretty ambitious of you to have all this stuff being done this year. This would be like the year 2024 would be the year yeah. of all years if, if this is the case. Right. Um, but within the next five years, yeah, yeah I, I could see that definitely happening. Um, but let's go on to my last prediction, our last prediction of this episode. And I think uh, you're going to like this one. <laughs> but I predict that there's going to be a downfall with functional health practitioners and coaches. So I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. <laughs> so the fitness industry is poised to witness a diminishing trust in the functional health methodologies as a growing number of experts, like those that we have on this podcast, these guys and women, they are coming out. They're currently speaking out about the lack of clinical validation in many of these practices. Right. And I feel like this is really good news because you're increasing the demand for evidence-based based approaches, right? And that will prompt individuals to question the efficacy of certain functional health coaching trends, uh, especially the ones that we all see today. But I also think that as awareness spreads um, regarding the importance of scientifically validated methods, the popularity of functional coaching or functional practitioners, it's going to decrease, right? Because this awareness is going to be able to empower the people to make more informed decisions for themselves about their own health and well-being, which then fosters a culture of this critical thinking, which I think is crucial, especially if you are trying to take measures and trying to optimize your health. You have to think crit critically. You can't just take everybody's word for it and be very, very, quote unquote, gullible, right? Um, but I also think because of all this, that this will actually lead to the advancement of more credible evidence-based practices, which not only benefits the people, but it also, I feel it's going to benefit the industry because it's going to promote practices that have a solid foundation in clinical validation. So sorry if you are a functional health coach, uh, but I feel like it will be going to the wayside as more and more legitimate experts come out and talk about why um, some of the things that you all do in terms of your methodologies and practices, um, number one, aren't needed. And number two, might actually hurt some people. Well, um, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Uh, while I love your prediction and I really, really hope it's true, um, I think that given our current medical system in the United States, that people, especially patients, um, occasionally feel like they have... Um, gone by the wayside by the by the traditional medical care system here in this country. And I think there's a lot of mistrust in uh, physicians. It's unfortunate um, because of COVID, because even before COVID, I think there was a general mistrust in physicians. And then after COVID, I think it just became worse. Um, so I don't necessarily think that people, um, that functional health care providers will go by the wayside. However, I said downfall, you, not not completely rid of, I said the downfall of them. Yeah, perhaps the downfall. I do think that people will begin to critically think about their own healthcare. And I think with the um, tools that we have as far as AI and um, 
looking at the evidence and being able to have information that's more accessible, um, I hope that people um, are able to critically assess what a um, provider, what advice that provider is giving them. Um, now, I don't think clinical validation is enough. I think randomized controlled studies are the key, um, especially um, when you're looking at a lot of the evidence. Um, but I will say that with the advancements in technology, I hope that people really take their health into consideration and actually look at one, the qualifications of who's giving them the advice and two, look at the evidence. Um, it is at your fingertips, it is accessible um, and be able to critically evaluate that evidence. And if you can't critically evaluate the evidence, find somebody that you trust that can do that, that is qualified to do that. Not somebody that took a crash course for three months and a functional um, health class, um, but perhaps somebody that had more training, such as a physician who went to residency in medical school and likely a fellowship after that, you know, 13 plus years of training. Um, it does, it does do something for them. Yeah, no. And I'm going to say that there's been touching back on what you said initially about playing devil's advocate. Um, I, I feel like there's been a, a mistrust for a long time. And I think that's sort of why you had these little niches pop up because of that. But awareness precedes change. And if we have the experts come on and keep doing podcast episodes like ours and like all the ones that we listen to, and they just keep getting out the information, it's going to build awareness. That awareness is going to help people make the right decision, aka start a change to where it's not just about trusting Gary Brecca and, you know, and uh, your your functional health practitioner because they sit down and listen to you and say, oh, you need reverse T3. Um, we need a reading on reverse T3. Like, no, I feel like if there's an awareness about that, it allows the, the population to question, right? Because once you question someone who's just spitting stuff out and can't really explain it to you, you know not to trust them. Like they should be able to explain what they're giving you, right? What they're telling you to do. They should be able to have a good reasoning behind it. And look, if, if you got the education and that's building your awareness, awareness enough to actually critically think and ask a question to the people who are telling you to do some things that might seem a little outlandish, then that's going to build a change within one person. And I feel like that's going to happen over time with a bunch of people. I agree with you. And I, I agree that you should be, you should critically question um, any healthcare provider that you do have, and they should be able to answer questions. Yeah. I love when I'm like, yo, like for any of the clients, any of our clients, I'm like, every time I make a change and I don't explain why you need to ask me why, because I need you to know where my head's at. And then you assess for yourself if it's valid or not. Um, the more questions people ask, they feel like they're being annoying. And it's like, no, you're not annoying. Like if you're paying us to help you optimize your health, ask us as many questions as you want, whenever you want. So on behalf of Balanced Bodies, we just want to say thank you for joining us on this episode of the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. We are committed to bringing valuable content. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd greatly appreciate it if you can take a moment and like it and leave a five-star review. On Apple, just go to the show, scroll down to the bottom and rate it there. If you're on Spotify, go to the show's page, click the three dots, and you can rate it there as well. And if you believe in the power of knowledge, share this episode on your social media to try and get the information out there to as many people as possible. 
And as you navigate your own path towards better health, remember that Balanced Bodies is forever in your corner. See you all next week. The podcast content may include discussions of medical topics and health-related information. However, the information provided should not be considered exhaustive or complete, and it should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment.